Everybody, everybody, we have another episode of Money, Sex, and Politics, and I am your hostess with the mostest, Rose Kaz, the femme founder of the Backstage Pass, and this podcast host. Hello, I just said that, the hostess with the mostest. You might not know that... LBI is the newest, hottest digital ecosystem out there, particularly for women thought leaders, industry disruptors, and business activists. I like to say the channels that we're putting out into this ecosystem are so critical, not just like in this moment in the world, but also for our future, (laughs) for the future of women, for the future of men, for the futures of theys and thems. What we're talking about on this podcast and on the Backstage Pass and the Boss Blog, our main channels right now of the LBI network, are really humanist ideas. Granted, we are calling women thought leaders, industry disruptors, and business activists to the mic, to the stage, (laughs) to the blog. But ultimately, the ways in which we are sharing this kind of information is intended to be supportive of a better experience in the world for everyone, everybody, every person. For that matter, even your dogs and cats will have a better life if you're having a better sex life, if you're having a better relationship with your own body, if you're having a better relationship with your money, if you're feeling more civically engaged, your goldfish is going to thank you for it, friend. Anyways, okay, enough about that for now. We're going to tune in with our next guest on the pod, but I just wanted you to know what we're all about here at LBI, what we're building, and why we're building it. So turn up the volume for our next pod guest, because here we glow. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. In fact, episode number four of Money, Sex, and Politics. We are digging into sex, sex education particularly, and that will be led by none other than our guest, Anne Hottership, who is a certified sex and relationship educator. And I'm super excited to introduce you all to Anne because of the work that she's doing is coming from this place, not just of inclusivity, but like honestly rewriting some of the old stories that just simply are not true. And I love Anne's work around sex education being accessible by everyone. Like literally, she's got a website about it. Everyone deserves sex ed. So if you don't already know Anne, check out their website right here. A super interesting conversation if you're tuning in on the YouTube, but certainly here on the pod, we are really jazzed to dig into other experiences of sex than the stories we've been told for eons. So Anne, thank you for joining us on the pod and uh, give us a little 411 on your background. What has brought you to sort of unearthing sex ed from the more archaic and traditional routes that maybe has been presented to us over the milieu? Sure. Well, I mean, it really started when I was very young, just not necessarily on purpose. Uh, I was hyper aware of masturbation without knowing that masturbation was masturbation. I was just like a a kid who accidentally was like, oh, this feels nice. Cool, cool. Um, Why hasn't anyone said anything about this? And that silence continued just throughout childhood. So I um, spent a lot of time in the library, pre-internet, of course, uh, looking at the card catalog, trying to find books or really any old magazines that had anything to do with like sex that could just give me information. Cause for me, in, information led to safety through the ways of understanding things that nobody else wanted me to, or people intentionally like were just leaving out of conversations. And I didn't really understand or realize the actual like social intent and the structure that has 
literally built a sex uh, how do I even say like it's just intentionally like it's the stuff is left out on purpose from day one including into adulthood but especially when we're young so it's not even like an oops oversight it's like no we don't want them to have this info as if it was like trade secrets or something like that and so once I started to really understand the intent behind it I've always just had a brain around that's not fair like that's fucked up why is it that way and, you know, when you're young, of course, you ask that a lot. Like, why is it that way? That clearly doesn't work. And you agree with me. Like, why is it still that way? And, and now that, of course, we're adults, it's like, yeah, I understand why the adults have to respond to the kids that way. Because it really does feel like this is just how it's always been. And many of us know it's not right, but we don't really have any control over it. Because it's so built into the system and structures and institutions of how the world works, definitely, but especially in the United States, there isn't really a lot you can do on a macro level when you're like an individual or even just a group of, you know, 10 people so that you can kind of feel just like a little, I'm almost hopeless with it to the point where we just almost have to find some sort of neutrality mm. in order to just continue. It's like that with a lot of topics. When I was in journalism school, blogs became a thing and they were still a thing very much like Blogs, yeah, blogs like internet them. blogs, yeah. And I, I mean, I have such fun memories because it's such a weird time to have grown up, but such a wonderful time because I have distinct memories of how it used to be and then how it became and then how it is now. So that was when I started to learn critical thinking skills and also research skills and how to locate resources that were reliable, how to identify ones that should be just tossed in the garbage. And I didn't know it at the time, but those skills were going to become instrumental in the work I started doing when I graduated and I first started covering the industry of porn and eventually also sex toys still work in that field in a different way but um from there really realizing like interesting all of these corners that are either kept on the sidelines or the margins or kept in the dark just someone else decided that they didn't deserve I don't know attention or no one needs no one should know about them but this is what you should believe about them. I just started to put all of my laser focus on those corners. And over time, went from sex journalism, sex marketing, supporting sex toy manufacturers to try to help um, get their products out there even more. People started to come to me for information about sex and sexuality and even referred to me as a sex educator. And I definitely knew a lot of things and I knew how to explain concepts just from the journalism training, but I wasn't comfortable with the title just because I didn't necessarily have facilitation skills or training intentionally behind providing like education type services. And so that's when I really started doing that and getting trainings. Now the education side is probably, I'm not very good with math, but 65, 70% of the work that I do mm. right now. And it's teaching directly to people as well as teaching the teachers have these conversations, not just sex teachers, but school teachers, physical mm. therapists, anyone that provides information to the public who wants to really understand these things and then know how to talk about them. 
Yeah, super, super important stuff. And I like taking it back to the beginning of where you mentioned as a young child being like, well, wait a second, right? And I remember being a curious young child that was pretty much in trouble all the time saying, but why, but why? And I really appreciate that you walked us through a very analogous experience of asking why at the, in the card catalog, which folks might know there's like this old drawer, that, like a wooden drawer with paper cards that we would have to find the answers, like literally. So I think some of that critical thinking that you were training on in, in blog land was maybe even developed earlier in those like card catalog drawers of really searching for answers that perhaps, you know, not that our parents were withholding, but as you said, now as an adult looking back, you're like, okay, I can kind of see why we pack it in this way. But ultimately... <laughs> what I heard you say is knowledge is power. And that's that's the entire point of these kinds of conversations with thought leaders like yourself, Anne, is because if, we, and I don't need, I'm not telling you this necessarily, but our, our listeners and our audience on the backstage pass, it's like, if we can have more conversations and normalize more of these topics that have been stuffed in the back door or even made to sweep under the rug and we just don't talk about that anymore, it's really it's really empowering for, for everyone, right? And so I really appreciate that you approach this um, from from an original place of curiosity for yourself, but in a in a very generous uh, now, I'm sure you lean farther into that. I am a sex educator role, right? And so, if you can kind of talk a little bit about how that has looked since you've taken some of your certifications back in 2014, moving through to you know now here we are in 2022 um, after post 2020, which was a huge wake up call for a lot of the world. Some of us had already been kind of like leaning into these kinds of conversations about access and health and wealth and things as as specific as pronouns, but these are all very important pieces of what is in sex education. So I guess you could pick any one of those topics, but uh, let us know right now as, as you sit as a sex educator in, in 2022, what are you most fired up about and and sort of what is, is leading your cause with um, I guess more fervor now than maybe even in 2014 or when you when you first were in card catalogs back in the day. Yeah, I think now, I mean, for years for sure, but especially now, there's even more just blatant in-your-face evidence of intentional withholding, not just of information, but also services that literally save lives as well as just make it easier to be a human being and live in the bodies we didn't get to choose. And not only intentional withholding by those in power, but then replacing that true information with complete BS garbage mm. that was made up on purpose to further certain beliefs that benefit a certain group and disempower a huge group, help make them more money and help them maintain the power that they have through a lack of information, a lack of understanding, and usually in turn, fear or uncertainty or discomfort. And a lot of us aren't good at being uncomfortable in part because we have really learned how to avoid discomfort. And as a result, we also look toward people who tell us that they can make it better or they know what the issue is and they can make the change for us. It's especially when we're really even semi-desperate to feel better it can be really easy to say, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a go. Like I, I want to trust this person. They seem, they seem trustworthy. Why would they lie? And so I'm going to go with it. And what really sucks is it's just super manipulative and using our uncertainty and lack of understanding, which isn't our fault. It's on purpose, right? 
and use that to sort of create a whole new narrative about what it means to be a human being, bringing in this very binary right or wrong type of attitude or good or bad type of attitude about things that do not have anything good or bad about them or right or wrong about them, they just are. And what that does is it also eliminates any opportunity to really address the gray area and the nuance of just existing in a human body among other humans and how different we all are, not just because of our lived experiences, but because we don't come from a factory where there is like a template for one or two different kinds of human. And then that's just who we are forever. So the I've always, of course, been fired up, but I've always known the emperor hasn't been wearing clothes, right? Now it's like, they don't even try to hide that the emperor is actually naked and are like almost like giggling about it. Like just so like we really have, we really have them in our hands. And that pisses me off even more because I of course am on the front line seeing the impact of that, of people of all, all ages, almost literally all ages at this point. And it causes so much suffering that not only is it avoidable, but because it's like, intentionally done. I'm extra like, fuck you. How can we dismantle this by not trying to argue with the people in power, total waste of our energy and they know that. So I'm saving that energy and kind of going sort of underneath towards the source or towards the roots where just individual interactions as well as finding who are the educators, the influencers, the impact makers, the trusted adults who have these individual interactions with the next generations of young people? And how can I help equip them with the tools and info that they want so that if and when those folks are encountering the BS propaganda about what it means to be human, they already have a foundation of understanding about mm. what's true and they have an understanding of how to look and think critically about the propaganda and better identify it. And then it doesn't impact them and they can help the people in their lives potentially be less impacted by it as a result. So I just kind of see it as like a, I don't know, maybe like a ripple or mm. a spider web. And that's, I think how we make change like incrementally that way and equipping as many people as possible with these yeah. tools and information. I like how you shared that, Anne, because it is like, as we mentioned earlier, any one topic we can get into from racism to misogyny to classism, any ism, right, can feel just like this sort of Goliath type of feat if we're really trying to fight it down or or change it. And what I've also noticed is it is the concentric, concentric circles. It's conversations like this with you know, the intention to share on different channels, whether it's, you know, Zuckerberg's social media or other, you know, sort of more future oriented, or maybe I should say, not that Zuckerberg isn't future oriented, but a perhaps more inclusive and helpful uh, future that, that I know that we're building on the backstage. But the goal is that we're we're having these kinds of kinds of conversations um, that then result in actions that people can feel empowered in their own autonomy and their own lived experiences, right? And as you said, to sort of dismantle that 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 different um, 
you call it propaganda, which I think is an, a very interesting choice of words and quite apt, right? Because it's a story being told over and over again that's literally baked into the culture, as you said, from all variety of ages that you're interacting with. And, and I think about that, again, from like racism, misogyny, any isms that get built into the culture that people just think this is just how it is, when in fact... Mm-hmm. That's what the recipe called for in order to get us to this point. And perhaps we personally have the opportunity to adjust the recipe is what I hear you saying, right? Or maybe even just like throw out the whole recipe book altogether. throw it out, you know, using like construction analogies, the idea of dismantling, you know, or the idea of like, we need to be inclusive and let people come to the table when we need to really take a step further. And like the problem is the table, not just the people around it. And the issue is, you can't like improve a fucked up structure if the foundation is garbage. It's really like, it would be nice if we could. And we have definitely attempted and we've seen time and time again, that it just doesn't work that way because the roots, the foundation is what the issue is and everything else just gets, you know, wobbly as a result. Mm -hmm. So it's really like digging out the foundation and we have to build something different. And Mm -hmm. the people in charge of building that stuff cannot be the same people in power, which tends to be one or two key demographics, which at this point are not a, even a global majority anymore, and um, certainly do not represent the many different ways that humans can exist in physical form, as well as with their beliefs and how they what they feel, what's important to them, and the communities that they are a part of. Mm-hmm. The tricky thing, of course, is that does it's a big undertaking, so it can almost feel like well. I don't, how could that possibly ever happen? And I don't know the answer to that. But what I do know at this point is the people in charge of doing the building of the bullshit structures, instead of just focusing on the structure, I want to talk to each individual worker, find out what do they do and how do you, who trained you to do it? How did you learn? What are the tools you have? Let's evaluate and see this tool might actually be better than that tool, or you don't even need this tool anymore, or even is this job what you really want and to do? Is this job what really feels important to you? Maybe not. And I feel that is a way less hopeless and overwhelming type of undertaking because you can't tell people what to do. We all have autonomy, but to have true autonomy, we have to have as much transparent information as we can in order to make our choices. Mm -hmm. So I want to provide the information that is withheld in order to influence those those decisions and see what happens after that. And definitely a majority of the time when people really see the emperor is actually naked and has been this whole time, they get real pissed. And then there's a grieving process as well, reconciling with having been lied to for a long time, how that has impacted their life so far. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes some shame, even feeling kind of embarrassed that they didn't know or that they knew something that they thought was true. And then they often, yeah, they're like, I, fuck this job. I'm not working for this person. I'm not going to build this thing. I know it's going to hurt people and harm people. And I don't even believe in it anymore. And if that's the outcome, cool. Um, I'm not attached to the outcome as much as giving people what they deserve to have access to in terms of knowledge around sex and sexuality, and then backing away and, you know, letting them do with that as they see fit. Mm, that's really inspirational approach. And it's very, uh, RBG, I think of you, uh, <laughs> Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I, I read and, and listened to a lot of her um, 
ways of leadership, particularly with that demographic, as you mentioned, uh, who's in charge of the structures, right? This is typically in the past been white cis men, right? And I always thought it was so impressive when Justice Ginsburg would approach these folks in conversation and, you know, in high level Supreme Court cases with really kind, almost like kindergarten type of um, genteelness, which personally, I don't have it in me to be that gentle with that. Like I'm full of rage. I'm full of shame. I'm full of all of these upsetting things. And, and I see your posture as well in this educator role to be just that of like sharing the information. You take what you like, leave the rest, because as you said, we all have our autonomy. And so I just appreciate your approach with this because other approaches I've seen have either been, well, no education, right? Like many people, we've just not been in the loop on the things that are most important to our bodily functions, right? Or just a very, um, you know, sort of top-down approach of like, this is actually how it is and you'll like it and this is how we do it. And so I just, I, I thank you for your your way of delivering this kind of information, um, both in in how you share socially, but also in this in this conversation. So thank you. I think it's really approachable. And I'm curious, as you as we talk about the way that this kind of information is shared um, and just generally the, 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 what is the information, how do you feel that that is shifting paradigms? How do you feel that that is actually, you, you mentioned that you're not as concerned about what the, the goal may be, more so in the process of, of sharing the information. So how do you see that um, shifting paradigms in, in your concentric circles? Um, I mean, I don't, I'm not exactly sure. I think the reason why I'm not attached to outcomes is not because I am furious and desperately desperate for things to be different and I want to set fire to everything, but it's more like that will make my depression worse and I'll never leave the house if I'm just focusing on that. Right. Um, and what I do see, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, I don't know, step forward, two steps back, three steps forward, one step back. Like there isn't a nice tidy way for me to kind of know. And also that stresses me out, um, how my brain works. Um, I might latch onto that too much, but I do know that, um, even, you know, fellow educators, there's, a combination of things going on in our community. There are folks who are um, still kind of sticking to the status quo stuff. There are some that genuinely are like, you know, ready to kind of realize there's more to what maybe they've been talking about or what they've been told. And they're in that sort of exploratory phase. There are others who are like fired up and ready to kind of burn it all down also, which I'm like, put the matches down actually, like that won't help you and you'll burn out, no pun intended. Mm -hmm. And then there are the folks who've already always been doing this and are longer than I have. And even since like pre-social media days. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's a, you know, it's not a monolith, right? Even in the sex ed world. So what I am seeing is just gradual shifts in those different uh, groups while also just new ways to actively suppress our ability to connect with the world and communicate that we exist and help people find folks like us. In part, you know, you mentioned Zuckerberg, very future forward, but very in a myopic sense, you know, yeah. it's not about the people, right? It's really about him and his circle of, you know, who's, who's in power, who can continue to be in power in my favor. Um, so, even now, like on TikTok, um, <clears throat> the newer platform that is really has been exploding, not just because it's social media, but because it's kind of become the new search engine of Gen Z and younger, where if they want to find a place to eat, they go to TikTok, they put in the, the restaurants and the city name. 
They don't go to Google anymore. So it's also a place where they're going to learn. And there's a lot of garbage information out there about gender and relationships. And like new purity culture is thriving. Purity culture 2.0 on TikTok right now for Gen Z. Are you saying also, period or purity? Oh, purity culture. Purity. What can you explain? Yeah. That? Oh, absolutely. So purity culture is ultimately the kind of cultural belief around how sex ed currently ex- like exists and always has been in the United States and elsewhere, places where, uh, let's say, religious conservatism has been imposed and forced uh, through colonization throughout the world. So the U.S. isn't the only place with purity culture at the wheel. It's the idea, the concept of virginity being important, saving your body for a sexual experience once you've been legally married and bound to someone else because once you have sex, you're permanently changed forever. That if you have especially a vagina in your body, that doesn't actually really belong to you. It belongs to a future partner. Mm-hmm. So behave accordingly now because if you don't, you will be likened to an old gym sock that's been used up or flavorless gum that's been just chewed too many times all of these really horribly inhumane dehumanizing analogies used. Mm -hmm. And so purity culture very much is rampant in religious circles. And there are people who are genuinely recovering in adulthood from the trauma of having been told all of these massive untruths, dehumanizing themselves, um, objectifying themselves non-consensually, of course, um, and upholding things like patriarchy and white supremacy as like the universal truths. And now as adults, they're really not just grieving, but also kind of trying to dismantle the genuine trauma response they have about if I make this decision or if I have this experience, what does that mean about me? And will I get some giant punishment from some deity in the air? Or will I get a giant punishment from my community and my family and my caregivers? Will they also punish me and ostracize me? And so purity culture as an idea is where we get like abstinence only sex ed. Mm where your sex ed is don't have sex, which is like teaching driving by telling everyone to stay home. And uh, purity culture isn't exclusively religious either because we also see purity type of ideals. Like you are pure if you haven't had sexual contact. And once you have, you are impure now, especially if you had sexual contact outside of some legal bounds of marriage. Um, that is also present in non-religious circles, but because our country was literally founded on puritanical ideals around things like this, like we were talking about baking into the system or constructing, it's in the foundation. Mm -hmm. Just like racism is, just like white supremacy and just like misogyny and sexism and fat phobia, honestly, and transphobia, all of it is baked into the system, whether we like it or not. It's been there for so long that it's easy to not even know or realize. Yeah. And the analogy I like to use about the impact of this is, you know, when we think about like dismantling and back when we were talking a little bit about like, what's the solution here? And do we talk to the construction workers or do we burn the place down or both? When you think about, I'm not a big meat eater, but when you talk to a chef or a butcher about certain kinds of steaks, certain cuts of steaks, certain cuts are considered more delicious because they have fat marbling and the fat is where the flavor is. Think about all of these dehumanizing social ideas as the fat marbling in the steak, you can't remove the fat from those steaks. It's in there. Mm -hmm. So you either choose to eat the steak or not eat the steak and see if there's something else to eat. Mm -hmm. And so 
that's how things like purity culture, purity ideals, things, abstinence only sex ed, punishment if you choose to have some sort of sexual autonomy, ownership of some bodies, power with other bodies, inherently because of the body that you have and what it looks like. It's all built in and baked in. So when educators like the us are utilizing things like TikTok, we also have baked in purity culture working against us in terms of obscenity and censorship, where mentioning body part names is equated as sexually explicit. So I could be literally, I'm in the same category as if somebody just put up a clip of, you know, two people having anal sex and it makes it you never really know if you're going to be have the audio removed from your content or have all of the content removed, have your account shut down, privileges taken away. So this is why when, when you're sharing on Instagram, for example, it says seg, right? You spell it on purpose. This is one of the first questions I asked you. I was like, is that an intentional uh, edit, right? Spelled S-E-G-G. We have to make it phonetic in order for people who use screen readers to still be able to know what we're saying which is right. why like S3X doesn't work because the screen reader will little, literally say streaks, you know, instead of sex. Yeah, yeah. So we've got segs, sex, smecks, smegs. And also you'll, if people follow me or my colleagues, you'll see a variety of what sound like completely ridiculous euphemisms or respellings or rewritings of certain words. And it's not because like we are clutching our pearls and don't want to say it. It's because we are doing everything within our power to not be erased. During lockdown, um, which feels like 5,000 years ago and also five minutes ago, I was doing these kinds of chats that we now do on this podcast, Money, Sex, and Politics, on Instagram. I would go live like, I don't know, maybe every other day at two o'clock or something like this. And every single time I'm telling you, Anne, if we talked about money, they didn't give a fuck. We talked about politics. Sometimes it was breaky, but anytime we talked about sex, the connection was faulty or like Mike's got like, it just, there was always some sort of hiccup. And like, I don't have enough of a following for, I don't think them to even to care, but I just thought it was super fascinating. And it was one of the things that encouraged me to start the backstage pass to like have a place online, a digital space where it was actually safe for us to have conversations like this and not get muted or have the, the cord pulled from our mic or whatever. Um, and what's interesting is not, but I don't know, maybe six months later is when we've said the, the Z word so many times on this, <laughs> this pod, but Zuckerberg pulled the, the plug on Facebook, WhatsApp and IG for like six hours one day. And everyone was like, what? And I'm like, okay, so right. Like I appreciate that people like you Anne, and, and, and your fellow educators are finding these sort of tricky workarounds to stay in communication with these large tools like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, things like that. But I had never even considered this purity culture, this, this idea that like the bots, the algorithms are, are trained to keep, like you say, whether it's a conversation about actual just education about anatomy Mm -hmm. gets lumped into the same pool of like a video on anal sex. It's like, okay, um, perhaps two different types of ratings as far as like con explicit content, right? But from a Puritan mm -hmm. perspective, it's all explicit. And oh my gosh, that just must make your job both really tricky and the need to be super creative and super inventive. Like even if we get super creative and find like a workaround, because it's, it's humans 
human screeners in addition to algorithms and keywords that are being that are doing this job, which is why you have an appeals process. Usually something that gets taken down immediately, you can appeal and then someone else will look at it and be like, okay, you know, or whatever their process is. But they do have very specific guidelines and they're also incredibly underpaid to do this kind of screening. I'll just throw that out there. It's yeah. exploit exploitative labor as well. So I, they're not at fault, these yeah. particular screeners. But the other issue is just the algorithms themselves, depending on what's going on, what's in there. I, I don't know what the actual thing is, but if you look at numbers of views of certain reels on our accounts, you'll notice, like I had a series very recently talking about how the medical industrial complex and doctors and psychiatry have played just a really traumatic role in the dehumanizing of people based on sexual feelings and identities because mm -hmm. people also don't know that. And it, it explains why so many folks don't feel safe to go to a doctor for anything, let alone asking a, a sex question. And a lot of those beliefs, of course, are still very much present in many providers' practices right now. Mm -hmm. The number of views of those videos compared to some of the other videos that I have up, it's drastically different. Part eight of my series, I feel like has like 300 something views. And then I have a, a post about how Instagram suppresses me. And that's got like, oh, I've, last I looked, hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands. And it's just the funny thing was that the one thing that took off in the last couple of weeks was the thing of me saying like, how fucked up is this? Please help, help me and my educators get more views and help the, tell the algorithm that you want to see it in your feeds. And so that was the video that took off and that everyone engaged with. And then the rest have just kind of gotten the crickets in the back, you know, in the back of the room. And I'm sure it's many factors, but it's the same on TikTok. There's a big discrepancy topic wise. And it's not just because people don't want to know about the, tr the tricky, difficult topics. They all, they do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, they're just not seeing it and they have to like dig for it if they want to try to find it. Yeah. I feel like I say this a lot on this podcast and for that matter in life right now, I'm shocked, but I'm not surprised. On our last chat on sex here on the pod um, with Dr. Sarah Luna, she's a professor of anthropology, sexual studies and anthropology at Tufts University. And she was mentioning um, the work that she's been doing and she just came back from sabbatical in Mexico City. Check out that episode number two, I think. I know we're all on like, I'm like, let me count back uh, two episodes. Not that many yet, but we'll get there. Um, but nonetheless, she was talking about um, these workshops that are, are happening in real life, right? And so it sounds like a lot, I'm sure you do some in-person stuff as well, but what I was interested, and I'm sorry, she wasn't presenting them. She was attending them and, and all very kind of guerrilla style, um, like give yourself your own sort of exam at home and pull out the mirror and have a look at your parts and, and understand what things are called. Because even at a base anatomy experience, many of us have been told the wrong words or no words at all or other mm -hmm. sort of cartoonish words. And so I, I appreciate the, the work that you put out on social, but can you talk to a little bit, speak to a little bit about what kind of um, programming or educational things that either you yourself are involved with in person and or other resources where people can, um, you know, get their hands on more information, essentially? Absolutely. I mean, pre-lockdown, I was doing exclusively in-person and potentially surprisingly, very few people would show up to some of my workshops, including my vulva workshop where everyone got a mirror and a blanket and a private spot to look at what their vulvas looked like. Uh, Post-lockdown, 
100% exclusively virtual online. And that was the big game changer because now I have people who do not live where I live who've been wanting this and now they can attend. So it's a big access point. So I'd like to just share that in case anything that I might be involved in will be virtual and accessible internationally, as long as you have an internet connection, which I know is not universally available to everybody. Um, so among the offerings in terms of, for people who feel empowered and want to learn how to talk about this and teach about it or add it to their current practice or whatever they're doing, that's where everyone deserves sex ed comes in. We do have masterclasses that are recorded from um, a year or so ago. We also have a 40 hour training that does end in a certificate that allows you to utilize it for credentialing or for your resume or for your personal confidence and ethics, whatever works for you and gives you info plus like facilitation skills and question and answer type skills that has been going on. It's been sold out every single time since summer 2020. So ah. it's, and people from literally almost every continent except Antarctica have attended. So it's needed and wanted and clearly not easily available everywhere. Mm -hmm. So hence the internet only exclusively virtual content, right? Um, if for folks who are just like, I want to learn stuff for myself, that training, absolutely. We have people who just want to learn themselves. They can. I do have an organization called Sex Plus. It is S3X Plus. There is pre-recorded, self-guided sort of pleasure education that isn't exclusively about sexual pleasure. But for folks who also want to build a, an understanding about what sexual pleasure really can mean for them, the entryway is to talk about pleasure in general. Mm. And our relatively effed up relationship to the idea of pleasure as well. Mm. Additionally, rooted in puritanical ideals in the United States and beyond. So that's available to folks as well. And, um, and then myself personally, I do a lot of coaching one-on-one -on -one type of stuff, whether it's you know, business related, if you want to try to bring sex into your business or build a sexuality education business, definitely we talk about that. But I also work with people and couples of a variety of ages and sexual orientations and genders who are just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do next. And I don't really know who to go to. So I want to at least start here. And it's very much just a lot of conversation, a lot of providing information, a lot of unlearning ends up being part of the process, which can be hard, but also relatively empowering. Once you get through some of it, you're like, fuck yeah, what else can I unlearn? You know? Um, and then when it comes to the relationship stuff, sometimes, you know, sex is, is not a big issue for us, whether we're asexual or whether we just aren't feeling the need for sex education. We also, I say we, I have um, sort of an expansive update on the concept of love languages, how to communicate, not only how you receive love from others, but how you then communicate it to others and what that can look like and maybe not look like. I do have an ebook um, about that, Speaking from the Heart, 18 love languages, or 18 love, I love like, I've been saying this for two years and I can't like say it out loud. 18 languages for modern love and a workbook just came out. So people were asking for worksheets, 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 which I thought was really funny. And at first really stressed me out because I was like, I don't know, when am I going to make that? But a year and a half later, there's the workbook. So that's also available online and we'll have that in print in a few weeks, which is pretty exciting. And that's got, you know, 50 different worksheets and exercises that are really about love, not just relationships. And our next workbook that's coming out is, is actually exclusively about our relationship to relationships, utilizing this more expansive concept around communicating love. So maybe in a few months, that one will be out online too. Awesome. Tons and tons of resources there. So thank you for sharing. And if we can just here in the, in the last minutes or so, um, 
talk to us a little bit about this book that you're dropping, The 18 Languages for Modern Love, because in the green room before we went on live here, we were um, talking a little bit about where the inspiration for this came from. And I'm really, I love the idea of taking like old archaic things and like not even just like shining them up for the modern era, but being like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, this is like not it. And, and I just want to share with the listeners what you, what you, what you mentioned in the inspiration of, of putting this book out. Sure. Um, about 30 years ago, a Christian minister with no training in anything beyond ministry and adult education came out with a book called the five love languages. And that for 30 years has remained unchanged, unchallenged, despite the many, many challenges. And it's kind of dominated circles professionally and personally around, you know, how do I fix my relationship and what has been strategically left unpublicly said is that this man not only had no training at all, but was a Christian minister specifically trying to spread beliefs around monogamous marriage, heterosexual marriage only. He's a homophobe and he's publicly so on the internet. So he doesn't even have to hide it anymore. He's gotten away with it and beliefs about gender roles, about what men and women are supposed to do in the home and how they're supposed to identify love. And he simplified something incredibly complex like love into like five simple categories. And I used to use it and modify it with clients for years. And I would see firsthand how people were totally warping it. And it wasn't their fault. It was just too broad and problematic. And so the initial ebook, The 18 Languages for Modern Love, Again, yeah, it kind of just took the idea of communicating a feeling and receiving a feeling, which isn't exclusive to this man's book, and flipped it over to really decenter romance and marriage and just talk about love as something all people can feel because it feels different for every single person. And it can apply to way more than just romantic marriage. And that's where 18 examples instead of just five, but I am by no means limited to 18 People can, they come up with their own, they share their own. And unlike this gentleman, I don't reject suggestions and I don't tell them that they're wrong. I'm very much like, you are the expert. If this is one for you, add it, make it the 19th in your workbook. You know, like this is how it really should be. And uh, yeah, that's that's where this all kind of came from. Well, I love that. Thanks for unpacking that. And and the workbook sounds like, I mean, I'm I'm such a nerdy student for life. I'm like, ooh, let me get my hands on some workbooks to try to learn some, you know, especially as all of this stuff, like 2020 for me marked the like gr- the beginning of the great unlearning, right? Like there's some relearning, there's some unlearning, and there's just generally, as you mentioned, like, you know, critical thinking of like, wait a sec, hold on, this whole thing, this whole time in this body, I have thought this one thing. And maybe that one thing isn't true, which could maybe make this other thing not totally true. And just that that inquisitive nature. So yay to a workbook. I love a workbook. Thank you for putting that together. <laughs> it doesn't sound like you have a whole lot of spare time. So cool. Well, I'm sure we'll see some sort of unboxing vid on your <laughs> on your socials. We'll be thrilled um, to check that out. Well, Anne, this has been an awesome conversation. I really, really appreciate the work that you're doing in the world, the way that you're presenting it, and how you show up um, here on the Money, Sex, Politics pod. And with those who are going to be joining in on the Backstage Pass, um, I just am I'm really thrilled to connect with Anne. And please, you all, reach out to her on her different social channels, support and spread this education, this re-education, this new education, this way of staying, you know, sharp in your own brain and, and, and reconsidering what can be possible for our own autonomy. So thank you, Anne. Any closing thoughts from your end? Please take the mic. 
Um, I mean, at the end of the day, if you don't have a whole lot of money and you really do have just like a phone and an internet access account, go to Instagram and TikTok, find me at Ann, uh, at the Ann Hodder, and you will see people like me look for that little pull down menu and follow all of us because we we are offering free access info to at least get you started in case there are any other barriers in your way. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for that, Anne. Very much appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Okay, everyone, that was another steamy episode on sex, or maybe I should say seg, in case the Puritans in the podcast land are trying to edit me. No, but they can't, because I can even do things like say fuck on this podcast. All right, well, that's all for meow. Can't wait for another episode of sex, well, Of course, I can't wait for another episode of Sex, but this podcast is actually called Money, Sex, and Politics. We've got some really awesome guests coming up, including um, a woman who has run for Senate five times in the fine state of Georgia. Tune in to find out if she has won or will win. Um, We also have some super, super smart women that are talking about money and access to more of it coming up down the pipeline. So make sure that you like subscribe and what's the other thing um listen like subscribe share oh yes that's right share it with your friends and family because um we're about to glow this place up so we dig into topics like money sex and politics in ways that you may not have done before i kind of think about when i very first encountered the internet a couple decades or two ago. In fact, if you'll take a little trip with me in your mind and when you very first used the Google bots, whether that was five days ago, five months ago, five years ago, or a couple decades too, I don't want to date myself, although I would totally swipe right on me. I just want to have that same curiosity as we dig into these topics, but also as we utilize the internet. And for that matter, and how we use social media. That's exactly what I'm trying to do in my professional life as well as my personal life, to be honest, is do a system upgrade. I know that we can use the internet better. And for that matter, we can utilize and interact socially on the internet. It's called social media in better ways. So that's what we're doing. We're going old school internet. You know, think of those old AOL dial-up days. Think of those ways when you were like, hold on, I'm going to go check the encyclopedia. Wait, what? I can chat room about this? Yes. That's what we're doing. We're going old school interneting here, y'all. How? Stay tuned for the next pod. Oh, and you could also come backstage. Check us out on the Backstage Pass, y'all. LBIbackstagepass.com. L like lady, B like boss, I like international. Backstagepass.com. All right. See you there. Ciao for now.